I'm Nancy Cavey, National ERISA and Individual Disability Attorney. Welcome to Winning Isn't Easy. Before we get started today, I've got to give you a legal disclaimer. This podcast is not legal advice. The Florida Bar Association says that I've got to say it, so I've said it. Nothing is ever going to prevent me from giving you an easy-to-understand overview of the disability insurance world, the games the disability carriers play, and what you need to know to get the disability benefits you deserve. So off we go. How much are you entitled to when you file a claim for your long-term disability benefits? If you're totally disabled, your benefits are going to be based on a fixed amount that you purchased and perhaps maybe you've bought some additional increases. You may have started with $5,000 per month in coverage, but you've exercised options that let you buy it up and now have $6,000 worth of coverage. That's pretty easy. But what if you've got a residual disability benefit claim? Now, residual benefits are based on your um, covered before monthly income. Your policy may say, look, to determine what your before monthly income is going to be, we're going to look at your income tax returns. And we're going to base this on the highest three out of five year earnings or the highest one out of two year earnings or the 12 months before you became disabled. Some policies will say that bonuses, commissions, or other designated income isn't included in the BME. And that can be a problem because what you thought you bought in terms of coverage may be something completely different. So if you're self-employed, like a doctor, a dentist, or a lawyer, some of these policies are going to say, look, calculate your benefits. We want to see your monthly P&Ls, your billing documentation, or other income before we can determine not only your before monthly income, but your monthly income. Now, why is all of this important? Well, because the calculation of your before monthly income is the starting point to calculating your benefits. And that calculation is going to be done monthly. So today's episode is all about the wonderful world of before monthly earnings calculations. And the three things that I'm going to be talking about are how pre-disability earning language can impact the amount of your disability benefits, what the court says, in other words, the court says just because a carrier or an employer thinks their calculations of pre-disability income earnings is correct doesn't make it so, and why discretion can make all the difference in your disability insurance claim benefit calculations. So let's take a break for a moment before we get into today's episode. Have you been robbed of your peace of mind from your disability insurance carrier? You owe it to yourself to get a copy of Robbed of Your Peace of Mind, which provides you with everything you need to know about the long-term disability claim process. Request your free copy of the book at kvlaw.com today. Welcome back. Let's start with how pre-disability earning language can impact the amount of your disability benefits. Now, one of the nastiest surprises when you stop working and apply for your benefits is to find out that you're not going to be getting the amount of the benefits that you thought you signed up for when you took out the policy. Let's get out that disability policy. What is the definition in the policy of pre-disability earnings or before monthly income? That's the same terms for the same kind of concept here. The amount of your benefits is going to be dependent upon that definition. I'm going to talk about one of the most common definitions so we can kind of use this as a base to explain this concept. You might have a policy that says the amount of your salary or wages that you receive from your employer on the day before a period of disability benefits 
started calculated on a monthly basis. If you are paid on an annual contract basis, your monthly salary is one twelfth of your annual contract salary. If you're paid on an hourly basis, the calculation of your monthly wages is based on your hourly rate multiplied by the number of hours you're regularly scheduled to work per month, but not more than 173 hours per month. Now, that's a whole lot of words, isn't it? And we need to kind of parse these words to figure out exactly how to calculate the before monthly income. In that definition that I just uh, read, the two most important provisions are the day before a period of disability uh, and also um, monthly basis. Well, let me give you an example because I think examples are a good way to understand this stuff. This is from a case called Morris versus Aetna Life. It's a California case of August of 2021. So Morris took sick leave and had uh, cancer surgery during the sick leave, including chemotherapy. Aetna paid her long-term disability benefits in the amount of $6,229.17 per month on the assumption that she was paid bi-weekly and on the assumption that she got 26 paychecks per year. But guess what? She was paid semi-monthly, which means she got 24 checks, paychecks per year and not 26. And in fact, she was actually on a annual contract. Well, years later, Aetna discovers the error of its calculations and they demand repayment of $56,478.17. Aetna wanted its money back. So what did it do? Well, they started withholding her benefits to recoup the overpayment. What did Morris do? What she should have done, sued. Now, unfortunately for Morris, the court started this analysis looking at the plain language of the uh, policy and went from there. Her salary at the time she was disabled was $115,000 per year or $9,583.33 per month. She insured 60% of her pre-disability earnings. So her gross monthly benefit would be $5,750. Got the math? Okay, so the court ultimately said, based on the math, that she was overpaid and she owed the money back. Now, the problem with this, of course, is that she had spent the money um, and had a lifestyle that was based on this higher uh, benefit that she was, um, she was being paid. Uh, and as a result, um, not only did she have to pay the money back and, and the carrier had the right to recoup that money back, but then she had to deal with the reduced income and her changed circumstances. So you can see that this before monthly calculation is important not only to determine the amount of your benefits, but the disability carriers can check their math and they can come back and say, oh, we've been overpaid. We want our money back. So this is an example of the double whammy that can happen when the before monthly income is not calculated properly. And what happens, of course, uh, when uh, that happens to the, a person's disability insurance benefits, the carrier's ability to recoup the benefits and how it really impacted her lifestyle. So let's take a quick break and we're going to head back into our next section talking more about before monthly income calculations. Welcome back 
to winning isn't easy. Let's talk about one court that said just because the carrier or the employer thinks that their calculation of pre-disability earnings is correct doesn't make it so. Now, I want to tell you the story of an obstetrician uh, by the name of David Schweitz. Unfortunately, Dr. Schweitz became disabled because of a vision loss, a retinal tear in both of the eyes, and a right macular hole in his right eye. He applied for and was granted his short and long-term disability benefits. But guess what? Aetna Life didn't want to pay disability benefits based on his employment agreement. And that's the other starting point in this analysis. In other words, we want to look at any employment agreement. We're going to want to look at income tax returns and other financial documents. And of course, we're going to look at the policy definition of pre-disability earnings or before monthly income. Now, in this particular plan, pre-disability earnings was defined as the amount of the salary or wages you were receiving from an employer participating on the plan on the day before a period of disability started calculated on a monthly basis. So let's work through the facts of his case and see how this actually um, worked out. He became disabled on February 4, 2015, and his pre-disability earnings should have been calculated based on his salary as of February 3. Dr. Schweitz had entered into an employment agreement that provided that for the first two years of employment, he had a base salary of $322,689, and that years three to five were to be calculated in part on this base agreement so long as he met certain productivity standards. If he didn't meet the productivity standards, his base salary for the deficit quarter was to be recalculated. So you can see a lot of math here. Now, this agreement did not allow his employer to reduce his salary on the first day of the third year, but of course they did. And there was a subsequent written agreement that confirmed that his salary would be maintained at the 322,689 number through February 28, 2015, and wouldn't be reduced to $156,011, which is what the employer was paying him. So, of course, guess what Aetna wanted to do? Aetna wanted to pay his benefits based on the $156,000 uh, salary and not based on the $322,689 uh, uh, salary. You can see that's a heck of a difference in benefits. So, of course, this ended up in federal court. And for federal courts, uh, really what happens is they have the ability to interpret the terms of the, of the policy. And that normally is their starting point. And if there is an employment agreement, they're also going to be looking at that employment agreement. They're not necessarily going to agree with the carrier's calculations or the employer's position regarding uh, what the before monthly income is. And in this case of Schweitz versus Aetna Life, Judge Blakely noted that Aetna had failed to justify why they used the lower number. Of course, we know why they used the lower number. They didn't want to pay full benefits. They argued that the lower number was right because the employer said it was right. And the, the judge basically said, look, what you think is right, what the employer thinks is right, is irrelevant because it's my job as the judge to conduct this analysis by looking at the terms of the policy and the employment agreement. Um, and basically what happened was the judge said, too bad, so sad for you guys. I'm going to do my job and found that Schweitz's salary was governed by the terms of his employment agreement and ordered Aetna to calculate the earnings based on the $322,689. 
obviously that was a great result, but you can see that there are cases where the disability carrier will miscalculate the BME in the favor of, of the policyholder, and they will miscalculate the uh, benefits in, in their favor. Some of this is intentional, some of it isn't. Uh, but in any event, you do need to understand that this is one of the, uh, a, a very contentious area in the world of disability insurance. Um, carriers generally don't want to pay full benefits. And of course, you want uh, your benefits to be paid at the correct rate, the rate that you um, basically contracted for. So that obviously, in this case, it was a great result. Um, and that was a great result because we had a judge who was willing to do their job and willing to look at the facts of the case, the employment agreement and the contract and render their own independent judgment. Let's take a break. Are you a professional with questions about your individual disability policy? You need the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. This book gives you a comprehensive understanding of your disability policy with tips and to-dos regarding your disability application that will assist you in submitting a winning disability application. This is one you won't want to miss. For the next 24 hours, we are giving away free copies of the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. Order yours today at disabilityclaimsforprofessionals.com. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. Why discretion makes all the difference in your disability insurance claim. Now, I know you bought a disability insurance policy to provide you with peace of mind if you became disabled and unable to work. You probably thought that if you became disabled that the insurance company was going to send you a check. And if it was that easy, I wouldn't have a job. I mean, I know that you know that your doctor said that you were disabled and unable to work, but that doesn't mean that the disability carrier is automatically going to pay you your benefits. One of the most important terms in your disability insurance policy is something called a discretionary clause, and it's normally buried in the back of that policy. That policy term, the discretionary clause, says that the disability carrier has the discretion to interpret the terms of your disability policy and to determine whether or not you're entitled to your benefits, regardless of what you say or what your doctor has to say. How ultimately a court reviews a disability carrier denial is called the standard of review. Now, generally, there are two possible standards of review. There's a discretionary standard of review, which quite frankly means that it's an uphill battle in court if your claim is denied, because a discretionary clause is a policy language that allow them the disability carrier to steal your benefits. There are some states like California or Illinois that ban discretionary clauses just because of that reason. Um, in that case, the judge can only overturn a claim if the carrier's conduct is arbitrary and capricious. Now, the alternative and more policyholder or plan uh, participant friendly is the de novo standard of review. That allows the judge to independently review the claim and make their own independent judgment. The um, discretionary clause, in my view, is a golden handcuff. It basically says to the judge that you can disagree with this decision, but because we have the discretion to make the decision, you can only overturn that if there's been an abuse of discretion. You know, I mean, you can disagree with it, but you can see that there are legitimate reasons, in our view, that we had to deny the claim. And of course, bias wasn't a factor in our decision. So, judge, you're bound by our denial. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happens in a discretionary review case. If I had a choice, 
I would always want the de novo standard of review because I would rather take the chance and have the judge review the material and make an independent uh, decision. So we've been talking about the concept of pre-disability earnings in some of our uh, earlier segments. Let's talk about how the standard of review would work in the real life in a before monthly uh, income case. And I'm going to tell you the story of Mayer versus Ringler Associates, uh, which is a case involving the Second Circuit. Mayer was employed at Ringler Associates, and Ringler and Associates offers annuity um, uh, plans to help cases get settled, be they workers' comp case settled, uh, personal injury cases settled, uh, or any other kind of disability litigation. It's a, it's a big company and big business. Now, Ringler and Associates offered a disability insurance plan to its employees. It was administered by Hartford. And Hartford approved Mayer's disability claim, but they fought about how much his pre-disability earnings were. And of course, that ultimately would impact how much he got paid in disability benefits. In this case, the policy had a discretionary clause. And the first issue the court had to decide was whether or not the discretionary clause was applicable. This gets as complicated as the before monthly income calculations. The plan was delivered in California that prohibited discretionary clauses. But Mayer lived in New York. And guess what? New York allows discretionary clauses. Mayer argued that since the plan was issued in California, that the discretionary clause was inapplicable and the judge could use the de novo standard of review. Well, Hartford, of course, argued that the discretionary provision was applicable. And since it was he lived in New York, they got to apply the discretionary clause. The court rejected Mayer's argument because they said, look, if one plan participant was a resident of California, then the discretionary uh, clause would have to be applicable to all plan participants. And the court held that that would be a logistical nightmare for the disability carrier. And as a result, the standard of review that the court applied had to be determined based on the policyholder's residency. Uh, and in this particular case, the court relied on Hartford's discretion in calculating the amounts of, amounts of the pre-disability earnings. So the standard of review can make all the difference. Now, I think that there should be an argument that may be made in a case like this, that since it's a policy contract interpretation, uh, that the court should apply a legal doctrine uh, called contraproferentum, which means that the terms of the policy should be construed against uh, the author of the disability policy. If there's any confusion or conflict or lack of clarity about what the terms of the policy mean. So when I'm involved in a dispute, particularly when it's a plan language or policy language interpretation clause, I argue that even if there is a discretionary standard of review, that the court should be applying the doctrine of uh, contraproferentum and interpreting the terms of the policy in favor of my client. But you can see two of the major factors here are going to be uh, where does the policyholder live, what state law is applicable, and as a result, whether or not there is discretionary uh, review or de novo review. And I quite frankly think that's important that you understand in your disability insurance claim prior to you filing a claim, but certainly when we get into the area where the claim is being delayed, uh, denied, or terminated. Because ultimately, when we have to file an appeal, it's going to be the standard of review that will govern uh, 
uh, how we file the appeal, what we argue, and how the court uh, views not only the facts of the case, but applies the correct legal standard. If you need help with your disability insurance claim involving before monthly income calculations, you really do owe it to yourself to consult with an experienced ERISA disability attorney. We're dealing with contract terms, interpretation, um, employment agreements, math, and trying to apply correctly based on the applicable case law, how those calculations go. And it's not, quite frankly, for the faint of heart. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, please consider liking our page, leaving a review, or sharing it with your friends or family. Remember, this podcast comes out weekly, so tune in next week for another insightful episode of Winning Isn't Easy.